Tanishwa. Johnny. Morning, Tanishwa. I nearly said Mulungu. Morning, honorable members. Morning, 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 uh, trying to sort out my iPad so that I can put my video on. Um, always five minutes, ten minutes late. I really sincerely apologize for that. But uh, I wish to request us to bow our heads where we are. And I will also look at this issue of my iPad so that I can put on my video. Can we please bow our heads for a second? Thank you very much. The meeting is officially opened. I wish to welcome honorable members and the legal person who is present with us, the officials. I'm not sure, Lindy, whether the minister has joined. If that happens, I also wish to welcome and acknowledge the, her presence and again send um, get well words to the deputy. Minister, Honorable Wahbani Henrietta. We will always put her in our prayers. We know that uh, that situation of being hospitalized is not an easy thing, but we will pray God so that she can recover soon. Uh, honorable members, let me upfront say that this meeting that we are having today must only 
continue from now up until 12 o'clock. Knowing that we're staying in villages and we have to travel by bus, I don't think it will be correctly to, to connect whilst I am in a bus. So let's try and push. Let's try and push. Who's that? It's Mangani. It's Mangani. Okay. I was yes. just correcting the time. The bus are going to leave at the village is half past 11 today. Thank you. Okay. Like mine, even mine is going to leave at half past. That's why I request the members to at least 12 o'clock, the meeting should be out by that time. Because by 12 o'clock already, we are expected to be in parliament, those that will attend, and all of us will have to try and log on. So those are the reasons that I request the meeting not to proceed beyond 12 o'clock. If we happen to finish earlier than that, 12 o'clock, I will really appreciate But 12 o'clock is the time that I think uh, is the maximum time that we have to reach it. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Mangani. I thought it's me only who's having the problem of traveling with a bus, but I hear that at least even other members are experiencing that thing of traveling by bus. Thank you very much, Honorable Members. Uh, also, that our, uh, Lindy, Let's go and flight the agenda. Morning, Chair. Okay. Morning, morning. Whilst Lindy is still flighting the agenda, the other thing that I have forgotten to apologize to members and officials is that our plan today was to have a meeting, a, a, a physical meeting. But seemingly the, we are encountering some challenges in parliament in terms of hybrid and also in terms of venues. So uh, really it was a failure. We did even the application for the dates that we have applied for. During a constituency week, that was declined and turned away. So we have to utilize the little that we have in terms of um, having these meetings and try to finish up with uh, our meetings if uh, it allows us to finish this bill. Then it means we won't have the physical meeting today as it was supposed to be, that is Wednesday, and also Friday. We won't have, we will rather connect virtually even on Friday. And yeah, that's, that's the issue. I'll give members just to brief or have an input on this whilst uh, people are also willing to acknowledge and, and give us the roll call in terms of who is present and who's not present. Lindy? Uh, 
Good morning, Chairperson. Uh, and members as well, I've already cleared members. Uh, I wish to confirm the following members uh, who are present with us. Uh, you, Chairperson, Member Vana, I have Member Aris, I have Member Mutawung, we have Member Pilankulu, we have Member Abrahams, we have Member Marei, we have Member Fanda Merve, we have Member Manganye, we have Member Opperman, we have Member Masango, we have Member Shongo. Uh, apologies, Chair, is from Member Sukars who has other prior commitments. She won't be with us. Another apology is from the minister. I think the ATG as well, they are out of the country. So those are the apologies and, and confirmation of members present. And I wish to confirm that you are a quorum chairperson. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much, Lindy. Uh, with those apologies and also confirming present members, and in terms of a, a person, legal person, who is going to do the presentation, who is that? Person, the person that will be presenting is Dr. Rosenbeck, uh, an expert that will take us through to the concept of baby saver, and then we'll have the department, uh, just one uh, uh, a submission that was omitted in the matrix uh, from the Western Cape uh, Commissioner for Children and then also the MOD chair. So they, they are already here, uh, Dr. Whitney and, and Luanda, advocating churches, they are here, chair. Thank you very much, Melinda, for informing us, update us about the people who are present with us. We really appreciate their presence. We are very happy. And we know that at least uh, for today, Dr. Rosenbeck, we have been waiting, looking forward for for her, but we are happy that we are having. If you look at our agenda, it is too short. So we might be able, in fact, we can be able to get the time that we are hoping to have. Um, but uh, Lindy, let's first uh, adopt it um, because I requested that... Um, we have to leave early. I know for a fact that there are also minutes that we have to adopt them. Can I request upfront that we refer those minutes to the next meeting because of the time? We hope that um, Dr. Rosenbeck will only take maximum one hour, minimum 45 minutes, not more than that because she has already have that dog that we are pressed of time for today. But we would like to have all what you have brought for us. Can we then adopt with that amendment a little bit the agenda? Honorable Member, oh, before that, let's also get the, the apologies from the side of the, the officials, understanding that uh, DDG Isabella are you are the one that is acting? Let's give over to you, unless someone else has been uh, delegated to act. Over to you. Did you see? Yes, my name is Kumbulan Daba. I'm the TTT responsible for corporate support services. Uh, I wish to tender an apology for Isabella uh, Sikawana 
who is the acting DDG Welfare Services, as well as Brenda Sibego. Uh, Both of them are actually attending cabinet this morning. So I've been asked to uh, stand in uh, because they, they are not here. But as I do so, I also wish to uh, inform uh, honorable members that uh, Deputy Minister uh, was discharged from hospital yesterday. Uh, it's still early for her to, to join us, uh, but uh, she wished us well and wished the committee well. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Mr. Ndaba. Um, we are very happy to hear those news of the DM. Uh, we knew that at least God will be on her side, and we knew that at the end, uh, the God will be with the family too, which is we regard ourselves as her family. I can see that um, there are hands from the side of uh, Bridget and uh, Honorable Kate. Thank you, Chair. And good morning. And uh, I must also say that we welcome the, the, the good news of the Deputy Minister having been discharged. And we continue to pray for her speedy recovery. The, the hand that you see, Chair, was uh, in response to when you reported back that we were not going to be able to meet in person. And I, I, I seem to recall you saying that members can, can um, you would like to hear what the members have to say about that. And all one can say is to thank uh, the Secretariat um, and yourself for having made the efforts to ensure that we meet uh, in person, uh, taking the processing of this bill seriously. But we, under the circumstances, um, would have to accept what has happened and uh, hope that as we um, go forward, the whatever challenges there have been that have been outlined by Lindy were in the letter to us, that they can be um, resolved and then we can be able to meet in person. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable uh, Bridget Masango. Honorable Kate. Thank you, Chairperson. No, mine was to to move for the adoption of the agenda. By the time you said no, let's wait. Then you wanted to the one member from the department to to say something. So it was for that my my chair. I don't know whether I will continue moving for the adoption of the agenda. Chairperson, are you still there? I've forgotten to unmute myself. <laughs> uh, 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 no, Comrade Kate Willambul, we are right. I just thought that if we started with the apologies from our side, let's also again follow that procedure inside of the, 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 the officials. Unfortunately, uh, Mr. Ndama has alluded and told us that who is a thing for, for now in this committee of today. Thank you very much, Mr. Ndama. And 
Honorable Kate Milangulu is adopting the agenda as amended. Yeah. Oh, it's your lead. Okay, yes, before we adopt the agenda, yes, let's just hang on a bit. On, um, Yuli, over okay. to you. Thank you, Chair, and I'm, I'm so sorry to disrupt, Chairperson. I just wanted to inform the, the, the meeting as part of the agenda that after the presentation of the, of the department, there is one um, just a, a presentation, not long, but a submission that I would like to make to the committee, uh, which is also submitted by the Children's Commissioner, which uh, um, was sadly uh, omitted when I was doing the summaries. It's not a long one, Chairperson. I just want to maybe for record purposes to present it after the responses from DSD. Hello, Chair. Maybe she muted herself. Yeah. I don't know. It's not a presentation, members. It's just for me to to report back what was submitted to the committee when we entirely uh, because I have now amended it to the report. Chairperson. Hello, Chair. Unmute yourself. I'm trying to call her members. She's coming back, members. She gonna you go back to her gadget. Linda, yes. I'm back here. Yeah, this thing that's why you wanted a meeting physically, just because of this thing of network. I don't know what happened, but sorry for that. That has happened. I'm back. Um, Yoli, we were saying something. I heard you saying you are sorry about interrupting us. Did you manage to finish what you were saying? I did, Chair, maybe, but for your for your benefit, I was asking for, uh, yes, few minutes after the presentation by DSD 
on the submission from the Western Cape Children's Commissioner, just to add another submission that they presented to, to the committee in Kailicha. It won't be long, Chair. It's just that it was also omitted from the reports. And I'm, I'm very oh. sorry about that. So I'm trying to correct that, Chair. Okay, thank you very much for reminding me about that because you told us immediately after the meeting that there is a submission submission that is left out by mistake, not intentionally, which you think it is necessary to know about it and you want to add it. Thanks, thanks. No, we'll give you an opportunity for that. We want to deal with this amendment bill once and for all. And leave Yes. Yes. I'm seconding yes. Honorable Bilangul. Oh, thank you very much, Honorable Jay Mangani is seconding Honorable Bilangul in terms of adopting the agenda as amended. Can we then proceed, Lindy, in terms of giving over? to the doctor, the expect, expect of this thing of baby savers and, and listen to her presentation, understanding at least after she has presented, we will definitely have to have time to go back and look and think about it and also have our inputs on the Recording in progress. Over to you, Doc. And thank you. you up. Thank you so much. Yes. Honorable. Sorry, sorry, sorry to, to disturb you, but I wanted to propose something to say it's like you you're having a problem today. How about if you get lost, then you you or we agree about somebody to take over for, for us to take care of the time since we have a pressing time today. Okay, hoping that that won't happen again, but you are right. Uh, is Honorable Stock in Lindy? So as to be able to assist me, if anything, we are not saying it's going to happen. We wish that it might, it mustn't happen again. Is Honorable Stock in? Uh, not yet, Chair. Uh, okay. She said that he is going to join the meeting at half past uh, because he yeah. was leaving at, at 10 past nine. Yeah, I'm sure people are, are, are traveling. Okay, let's request Honorable Kate Milangul to also continue with the meeting if I happen to. But I don't think it will happen again. Can we agree on that one? And then can we yes, give over to the dog? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to just share my screen if that's possible. Um, I'm going to try, um, and you can just tell me if you can see it. Can everybody yes, see my screen? Yes, Doc. We yes. see your screen. Thank and you so regard, much. Doc, let's regard as if it's 27 minutes past nine now. Okay. But let's start counting from half past nine. So we Thank can you, calculate your time from that. Thanks, Doc. Thank you so much, Chair. Um, good morning to all honorable members and officials present. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to present on my expertise relating to baby savers and safe haven laws. 
My name is Dr. Whitney Rosenberg. I hold a law degree from the University of Johannesburg, a master's in the interpretation and drafting of contracts, a doctorate, PhD in family law, with a thesis entitled The Legal Regulation of Infant Abandonment in South Africa. I'm also an admitted attorney of the High Court of South Africa, a senior lecturer at the University of Johannesburg, where I've been teaching family, the law of persons and family for eight years. I have presented on this topic at various national and international conferences, such as the Atena Conference in Greece, the International Society of Family Law Conference in Amsterdam, as well as the IVR Conference in Switzerland. It is my great pleasure to um, address you this morning on the safe relinquishment through baby savers. Before we begin with the definitions that I would like to take you through, I just want to discuss a few fundamentals, such as the fact that child abandonment will remain a criminal offense. With the legalization of a baby saver, child abandonment remains a criminal offense. The legalization of a baby saver is not aimed, or the legalization of safe relinquishment is not aimed at legalizing abandonment, but at preventing the act of unsafe abandonment, which can result in death. And before I continue, I'd just like to um, point out that relinquishment refers to the safe handover of a baby. Um, so child abandonment will remain a criminal offense. Prevention and early intervention services. A baby saver is in itself a preventative measure, one that would be supported through application of, for instance, Section 105 of the Children's Act, which deals with the provision of designated child protection services. The legalization of baby savers works in conjunction and in partnership with prevention and early intervention services. We believe that a parent must parent. So the goal of the legalization of baby savers is not to take away the responsibility of a parent to parent. Also, with the legalization of baby savers, it will still support family preservation. That is the first goal of baby savers. It is a last resort. It is not to be seen as a first resort. Pregnancy counseling and other early intervention services will still take or take a preeminence above the legalization or the use of a baby saver. Of highest priority is the child's right to life. The legalization of baby savers aims to protect the child's right to life. It aims to further also protect the child's best interests, such as found in Section 28.1D of the Constitution, which deals with the need of the child to be protected from maltreatment, neglect, abuse, or degradation. And I believe that the legalization of a baby saver is in line with this constitutional imperative. Baby savers, importantly, do not encourage abandonment. They are not there to legalize abandonment, but to be a last resort and to give mothers more options rather than fewer in the event that pregnancy counseling has been unsuccessful or unobtainable. The department has made a comment that the impact of unsafe abandonment is negative, whether the child is safely or unsafely abandoned. And I agree with that. However, the impact of unsafe abandonment is much 
more severe than if a child were to be safely relinquished. The impact of unsafe abandonment on a child is severe. One particular example that comes to mind is a little baby boy. His name is Nathan. He was two to three months old at the time when he was abandoned alongside the road. And he suffered from tremors as a result of the noisy trucks that would thunder past him on the side of the road. Unsafe abandonment can lead to both death or severe disabilities in children. I have listed some incidents of unsafe abandonment in South Africa. I will not be taking us through all of these. Um, I will just highlight a few. These are only cases that are known and that have been reported. There are many more cases that go unreported. On the 2nd of January, the bruised body of a 13-day-old baby was found along the Northwest Highway. On the 7th, a newborn baby was discovered in a rubbish bin in Ackerville. The ninth, the body of a newborn baby was washed up at Nandi Beach. And so it carries on all the way up to the 21st of March. Baby was found wrapped inside a plastic bag in Isabelini, Komani. In the report by Abrams and others on gender differences in homicide of neonates, infants, and children under five years in South Africa, results from the cross-sectional 2009 National Child Homicide Study, it was found that in 2015, 5.9 million children died before their fifth birthday. Nearly half of these deaths occurred among neonates, which refers to babies that are 28 days old or younger. Three quarters of these deaths occurred among infants, children less than one year old. Infanticide, which is the killing of a child under one year old, and neonaticide, the killing of a newborn within 24 hours or 28 days of birth, can be active or passive. Many infanticides and neonaticides are the result of abandonment. The mother leaves her infant or newborn in a place without care or protection, either with the intention of killing the child or with the hope that someone will find and care for him or her. Unwanted pregnancies are the most common cause of infanticide and neonaticide. Researchers found most of the neonates died in the early neonatal period. Only eight out of 241 neonates were more than six days old when they died. Abandonment, accounted for 84.9% of neonaticides, and abandoned neonates were mainly term babies. Unsafe infant abandonment is a violation of an infant's right to life, contained in Section 11 of the Constitution. Unsafe infant abandonment is also a violation of an infant's right to human dignity in Section 10 of the Constitution. And further, unsafe infant abandonment is not in the best interest of a child, as contained in Section 28 of the Constitution. Now, what is a baby saver? A baby saver, also referred to as a baby safe or a baby box. It is a box attached to a wall where a baby may be placed inside instead of unsafely left in the street 
dustbin or open felt. Once a baby is placed inside, an alarm is triggered that notifies first responders of the baby that has been left inside the box. The child is immediately removed and taken to safety. As a point of interest, the first modern day baby saver was started by the Door of Hope Children's Mission in 1999. Since then, we have plus minus 40 savers in South Africa. An estimated 460 babies have been saved through these savers. Germany, India, China, Switzerland, and the USA, to name but a few, have all since established and legalized savers. Importantly also is that although we have the first modern day baby saver established in South Africa and other countries have copied our version of the baby saver, Germany copied South Africa's version, the USA um, created their own version. Although we had the first saver, we are the country where the saver has not yet been legalized. So what are baby safe havens? Baby safe havens are very different to baby savers. Safe havens refer to hospitals, fire stations, and police stations where babies may be left. It involves the personal handover of an infant to one of these designated safe haven providers. Countries such as Namibia and the USA also have safe haven laws in place. So baby savers involves the mother anonymously placing a baby in a baby box, whereas baby safe havens refers to the personal handover to staff at a fire station, police station, or hospital. For the sake of this presentation, I will be dealing with baby savers in more detail, as this is my recommendation for immediate um, application in South Africa. Therefore, a baby saver, as I've already said, is a box in a wall where a mother may anonymously leave an infant. There's two types of savers. Firstly, a saver can be attached to a wall of a charitable organization, a CYCC, or a registered place of safety, such as, for example, what the Door of Hope Children's Mission is doing. Or the baby saver may be placed in a wall as a freestanding unit, such as the Halderberg baby saver. So, the two types, firstly, the CYCC or registered place of safety. When a baby saver is in the wall of a CYCC or registered place of safety, the baby is collected by staff that are employed by that home. So an alarm is triggered once the baby is placed inside and the staff members inside the CYCC or registered a place of safety will collect that child immediately within minutes. When the baby saver is a freestanding unit or units at a crisis pregnancy center, the baby is collected by first responders. Again, an alarm is triggered, which notifies first responders, which can either be emergency medical services, ambulances, and or security companies. And they immediately remove that baby and take that baby to a place of safety. So what are the leading causes of child abandonment in South Africa? These are some of the leading causes. Poverty. And we know in South Africa that poverty is on a rise, especially with the pandemic. Gender-based violence. Our president, President Ramaphosa, mentioned that gender-based violence is our new pandemic or our second pandemic in South Africa. And then teenage pregnancy, which includes rape, 
Teenage Pregnancy Report was released on the 24th of August 2021 by the Gauteng Department of Health, which indicated that more than 23,000 girls under the age of 18 gave birth between April 2020 and March 2021, of which 934 were under the age of 14 years. And then finally, restrictive legislation is also one of the leading causes of child abandonment. And I deal with this in detail in my research. My research is entitled, The Legal Regulation of Infant Abandonment in South Africa. In my research, I did a comparative analysis of what the approach is in various countries. I dealt with Germany, the USA, and also Namibia, which is very relevant as an African perspective on child abandonment. In Germany, I found that they employ three methods of safe relinquishment, baby savers, anonymous birth, and confidential birth. And in order to both read and understand German, I completed a German A1 course at the Goethe Institute. What I found was the shortcomings of the German law that the confidential birthing laws caused a reluctance in mothers to make use of this method due to the fact that the woman's identity may be disclosed upon the child's request in future. So Germany started off with baby savers, and that proved very successful. When they moved over to confidential birth, they found that fewer women were willing to make use of this because they were afraid that in future, the child may request their identity or information about the identities. In the USA, the USA employs two methods of safe relinquishment. Firstly, baby safe havens, which was started in 1999. And then secondly, the more recent implementation of baby savers. What I found with the USA was that they instituted baby safe haven laws first, and they found that women were still not making use of the system. Why? Because this involves the personal handover of the baby to a designated safe haven provider. And in these instances, because of the shame attached to the pregnancy, women preferred to keep the identities a secret. What did the USA then do after finding the shortcoming? They've recently started implementing baby savers in each and every state because it allows the woman to anonymously leave her infant in the baby safe and it saves lives. Namibia, our neighbors, Namibia instituted baby safe haven laws in 2019 after only 13 fetuses were found abandoned monthly. Section 2271 of the Child Care and Protection Act 3 of 2015, their the baby safe haven law reads as follows. A parent, guardian, or caregiver of a child who abandons the child may not be prosecuted under Section 254 for such abandonment if the child, A, is left within the physical control of a person at the premises of a hospital, police station, fire station, school, place of safety, children's home, or any other prescribed place, and B, shows no signs of abuse, neglect, or malnutrition. What's very interesting about Namibia is that up to this point in Namibia, the laws pertaining to children emulated the South African approach. A good example of this is the Children's Act 33 of 1960, which was directly inherited from South Africa. However, in this 
fear of developing a solution to unsafe infant abandonment, and Namibia has now taken the lead. However, Namibia's laws are not perfect. They also have shortcomings. For example, Namibia has no age requirement for the relinquishment of an infant. Usually, in other countries, an age is stipulated. So, for example, they'll say, like in the States, they'll say that a child must be one year old or younger to be safely relinquished in a baby saver. Also, Namibia has failed to stipulate the procedure should the child show no signs or should the child show signs of abuse. Personal handover could also be a deterrent because there's no guarantee of anonymity. So what does South Africa have in place? But before I look at what South Africa has in place, I do want to point out that Namibia, despite all its shortcomings, their law indicates a move on the part of the legislature to protect the rights of infants that were being abandoned in life-threatening situations. Now a closer look at what our laws say. Again, I reiterate that abandonment will remain a crime. I am not advocating for this to change. South African law, though, is purely reactive in its approach to child abandonment. It punishes the crime without providing a safe alternative. There is nothing in our law to prevent unsafe abandonment. And I will read some of those laws to you now. Section 3053B of the Children's Act speaks about the crime of child abandonment. Section 113 of the General Law Amendment Act deals with the crime of concealment of birth. Section 238 and 239 of the Criminal Procedure Act deals with infanticide and exposure, respectively. So these provisions do not deter mothers from unsafely abandoning their babies. In fact, we know that the numbers are rising. Very few women are ever successfully prosecuted for these crimes. The crime of concealment of birth cannot be implemented where an infant is found in a public space, such as an open felt, rubbish dump or pavement, because that does not amount to concealment. Therefore, this also proves to be ineffective. Thus, our laws are neither a deterrent nor do they serve a retributive function. So, child abandonment will still be a crime, but a provision will be added to allow for safe relinquishment. If a baby is safely relinquished in a baby saver with no signs of abuse, then it will not amount to child abandonment. The proposed wording, I have only dealt with the sections of the Children's Act that will be directly affected by the legalization of baby savers. So I've not outlined all the laws or proposed laws and provisions that we that will need to be implemented, but only those sections that will be affected by the legalization of baby savers. And firstly, the definition of abandonment will need to be added to. There's an addition here, and that is paragraph D. A, B, and C will remain the same, and the addition of D is proposed. Abandoned in relation to a child means a child who 
D is an infant who has obviously been deserted by a parent, guardian, or caregiver and has not been safely relinquished in a baby saver or in terms of the relevant baby safe haven laws. So yeah, it means that a child will not be regarded as abandoned if the parent, guardian, or caregiver has done this in a way um, in terms of the safe relinquishment laws. Furthermore, Section 236 will also be affected by the legalization of baby savers. And this deals with when consent for adoption is not required. Here, again, the current laws will remain intact in place, but I'm proposing the addition of paragraph G. So it reads like this, when consent not required, the consent of a parent or guardian of the child to the adoption of the child is not necessary if that parent or guardian, G, has safely relinquished an infant in a baby saver or to a designated safe haven provider and has failed to reclaim the infant or child as provided in terms of the prescribed reclaim process. So obviously we know that the, the provisions before this state that when a child is abandoned, then permission or consent is not required for the adoption of that child. We're saying the same thing here. If a child is safely relinquished in a baby saver, then permission for the adoption of that child will also not be required. But do bear in mind, honorable members, that this, the 90 day advertisement period in a local newspaper still applies. It would still apply, giving the parents an opportunity or anyone interested, an opportunity to um, reach the child and to reclaim the child. Section 3053 of the Children's Act will also require certain provisions to be added, such as paragraph C, D, and an addition to subsection 4. So section 305, subsection 3 says, a parent, guardian, other person who has parental responsibilities and rights in respect of a child caregiver or person who has no parental responsibilities and rights in respect of a child, but who voluntarily cares for the child, either indefinitely, temporarily, or partially, is guilty of an offense if that parent or caregiver or other person, paragraph C, abandons an infant other than through safe relinquishment in a baby saver, or other than to a designated safe haven provider. D, relinquishes an infant in a baby saver, or to a designated safe haven provider, but such infant shows signs of abuse. So here we are saying that you will not be held guilty or you will not be prosecuted for abandonment if you abandon, if you safely relinquish a child in a baby saver. However, if you abandon a child through, other than through safe relinquishment, you will still be prosecutable in terms of this offense. If you furthermore relinquish a child in a baby saver, but that child shows signs of abuse, you will still be prosecutable in terms of this offense. And then subsection four says, a person who is legally liable to maintain a child is guilty of an offense if that person, while able to do so, fails to provide the child with adequate food, clothing, lodging, and medical assistance unless the relinquishing person has relinquished an infant in a baby saver or in terms of the provisions of baby safe haven laws, then he or she will not be guilty of an offense in terms of this specific subsection. So clearly these are the only changes in the act that will be needed with the legalization 
of baby savers, stipulating that if someone makes use of a baby saver, then that person will not be prosecutable in terms of 305. However, if someone makes use of a baby saver, but that child shows signs of abuse, that person will still be prosecutable in terms of this subsection. There's two key components to qualify as safe relinquishment. Firstly, you must use a baby saver or relinquish a child to a designated safe haven provider. And as I suggested earlier, I'm focusing on baby savers in this presentation because that is required for the immediate implementation for the immediate crisis of child abandonment that South Africa is facing. So I have included um, designated safe haven provider throughout this. However, bear in mind, I am suggesting baby savers first as a first resort. And then the second component to qualify safe relinquishment is that the child must show no signs of abuse. If a child shows signs of abuse, a criminal case will be opened, the normal procedures will be followed. That person will be prosecutable for both child abandonment as well as for child abuse. Now, the objectives of this legislation is the prevention of unsafe abandonment. It is not to legalize abandonment, but it is to prevent unsafe abandonment, like those cases I read to you in the beginning of my presentation. Therefore, the prevention of the deaths of babies. What does the Constitution say about this? The Constitution of the Republic of South Africa, Section 11, provides that everyone has the right to life. This is guaranteed to everyone, including children. The lack of the provision of a safe alternative to unsafe infant abandonment is not safeguarding the child's right to life, which forms one of the fundamental rights of our Constitution. The words of Justice O'Regan in State Buses versus Makwanyani says, the right to life is in one sense antecedent to all other rights in the Constitution. Without life in the sense of existence, it would not be possible to exercise rights or to be the bearer of them. But the right to life was included in the Constitution, not simply to enshrine the right to existence. It's not life as mere organic matter that the Constitution cherishes, but the right to human life, the right to live as a human being, to be part of a broader community, to share in the experience of humanity. This concept of human life is at the center of our constitutional values. The Constitution seeks to establish a society where the individual value of each member is recognized and treasured. The right to life is central to such a society. The right to life also has a socioeconomic element, which means that the state will be obligated to meet certain needs in respect of this right, like shelter, food, and education. Justice Sachs mentions that the state is under duty to create conditions to enable all persons to enjoy the right. Therefore, it is submitted that the state is under duty to legalize a safe method of infant relinquishment, which is in line with the duty to create conditions to enable all persons to enjoy the right to life. 
the right of an infant to human dignity, as guaranteed by Section 10 of the Constitution, is also infringed when an infant is discarded in a dumpster, alongside the road, or in a toilet. According to Chaskelson, the right to life and human dignity are the most important of all rights, as well as the source of all other rights. These two rights must be valued above all others. Then section 28.2 of the Constitution provides, a child's best interests are of paramount importance in all matters concerning a child. Establishing a baby saver law is placing the child's best interests in a position of paramount importance by safeguarding the child's fundamental rights as guaranteed in the Constitution. The department has posed certain questions ahead of time, which I wish to address now, such as sections 105 and 107 of the Children's Act make provision for designation of organizations to render child care and protection services that include abandonment. My response to this is the child protection services that are currently rendered for abandonment are not preventative of the act of abandonment, but only step in once a child is found alive after being unsafely abandoned. We require child protection services that prevent the act of unsafe abandonment and therefore ensures the safety of children first. Therefore, these sections 105 and 107 need to be applied to legalize baby savers. Furthermore, the safe relinquishment in a baby saver would be part of a service provided under the provisions of section 107 and 167, making provision for placement of children in alternative care. And my response to this is that a baby saver is not alternative care. A baby saver is a mechanism used to save the child from unsafe abandonment. A child is immediately taken from a saver to a registered place of safety or CYCC. Therefore, a baby saver need not qualify as alternative care in terms of section 167 of the Act. Furthermore, a baby saver does not qualify as temporary safe care because a child is not temporarily accommodated in the saver pending a court order, but is temporarily accommodated in a registered place of safety or CYCC after being speedily removed from the saver and in terms of the normal procedures. Then the decriminalizing of forms of abandonment. The only form of abandonment that I recommend requires decriminalization is safe relinquishment. This is in order to allow the use of baby savers without criminal repercussions, but on the conditions that we dealt with previously, that the child shows no signs of abuse. The current laws regarding abandonment will continue as is. Therefore, if a child is safely relinquished in a baby saver, it will not amount to child abandonment. The department's position is strengthening of prevention and early intervention programs where a pregnant mother must be identified and supported. My position is the same. That is prevention. Baby savers prevent unsafe abandonment and provides the pregnant mother with more options rather than fewer. Baby savers will still be the last resort after pregnancy counseling and may prove life-saving where the mother refuses to make use of pregnancy counseling services or has no access to such services. 
I am in agreement with the Department for Prevention. But while child and baby abandonment is still happening, while it is an ongoing crisis, we need an immediate solution. With the legalization of baby savers in South Africa, a regulatory body would need to be appointed to ensure that organizations adhere to the regulations with regard to children in need of care and protection. My recommendation of an organization that can function as a regulatory body is that of Baby Savers South Africa, which is a registered nonprofit organization. A regulatory body would be required to regulate the process from the inception of a baby saver to when an infant is relinquished safely in that saver. This will result in a high degree of accountability. This regulatory body will report directly to DSD on the operation and running of baby savers in South Africa, and it mitigates opportunities for child trafficking. This regulatory body will ensure that all protocols regarding safe relinquishment are followed. It will, with the assistance of DSD, shut down baby savers that are not adhering to the protocols. It will ensure that the minimum safety and design standards for baby savers have been met before approving organizations to perform this function. It will ensure that each baby saver operator has proof that statutory services will be provided by an accredited and registered child protection organization. Conclusion, safe relinquishment through a baby saver is an immediate solution suited to South Africa for the ongoing crisis of baby abandonment. The modern day baby saver originated in South Africa. Countries across the world have taken on this concept from South Africa as an alternative to unsafe abandonment. A baby saver will function in conjunction with other early intervention and preventative measures employed by the department to reduce the number of babies dying due to unsafe abandonment. And lastly, I'd like to leave you with this thought. A child born in South Africa is at highest risk of being killed during its first six days of life. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Members, for your time. Thank you, Dr. Rosenberg. Um, uh, you have made it clearly, as I have said before, that we have to go back and think about what you are saying. And really, we know some of other things are real, as you have said. Uh, honorable members, that's the presentation of uh, Dr. Uh, Rosenberg. And I requested us to go back, think about that, and we'll discuss it. And then at the end, we will come up with something. But for now, we only wanted the presentation from the doctor. Thanks ever so much, doctor, for this presentation. You've made time. You have just been on, you know, on top of things because I thought so that you will finish up by half past 10, quarter past 10. But now I can look at the time. 
It's 10 minutes. It's two minutes past 10. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, before you leave, we will again ask, um, was there still some few things to do after your presentation, as I have said? I see hands. Uh, the one of Lizelle. Lizelle, please un uh, mute when you want to talk with someone. A little bit disturbed the dog, but um, she continued without as if there is nothing that is disturbing. Uh, I'm going to give you Honorable Lizelle and followed by Honorable Leticia. Apologies, Chairperson. I thought I was muted throughout I, and I wasn't talking to anybody, so I'm not quite sure what happened there. Apologies for the interruption. Did you not want us to interact with the presentation, Chairperson? I didn't um, hear what the guidance was. Apologies. Yeah, I said so. I said we still have to also uh, discuss this. You can ask a question of clarification only, but we won't come up with things now for today. Uh, we will go back as I have requested you. And we okay. definitely think about it and discuss it as a comment. Thanks, thanks for apologizing, Lizelle. Maybe it has muted itself. You know, the technology is advanced. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry about that, okay. um, All right, thank you. No, no, that's fine then, Jefferson. I think I just wanted to then um, thank Dr. Whitney for her time and also wanted to underscore and support what you said that... Um, we need to obviously take cognizance of what she had said. Um, and then, you know, I think it was very helpful that she had guided us in terms of the uh, suggestions on what we could consider as a committee once we go into our clause-by-clause -clause, uh, presentation or, or discussions. Um, I wanted to ask just a few quick questions of clarity in terms of her research. Uh, she said that we are one of the first countries to have baby savers, but one of the only countries not to legalize baby savers. And I wanted to ask her in her research, why did, why did she find this to be the case? Is there no understanding of this concept or the need for baby savers? Or is it that the authorities isn't aware of baby savers? Um, she mentioned age limits in terms of baby savers. I, I didn't get what the proposal was here. If she can just clarify me. And also, um, I wanted to ask her that often when we do engage with DSD, they argue that abandoned children can be reunited with family members. And her research, once somebody leaves a, a baby safely, uh, safely relinquishes a baby in a baby saver, has it been her experience that um, such children left through baby savers can be re reunited with family members? Um, maybe she can just give me some information in that regard. Thank you, Chairperson. And again, sorry for the uh, unmuting. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that question of clarity. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Let's also take the other one from Wait Talk uh, so that you can be able to answer them all. There is also a hand from Honorable Masango and Aris. But yes, Aris, uh, Honorable Aris is the one that is going to follow. Yes, thank you very much, Chair. I think, um, can you hear me, Chair? Yeah, thank you very much, Chair. Um, and thanks yes. for the 
I did hear that the doctor said, um, you know, a focus is on baby savers mainly. But however, I was just thinking about where you have and the proposal that baby uh, safe havens must be fire station, police stations, etc. But when you think of the rural areas, you know, where there's no such things like police stations and etc. And your closest police station or hospital or clinic or whatever is a couple of kilometers away from from you know from that area. Um, then I want to know what she would then propose, being specifically looking at the rural areas. Then also in terms of if we think of legislation for this baby savers and and events, um, I just want to check how many baby savers are currently um, you know operating in the country since we then still experience this high number of abandoned um, children. Then also the other thing that I would like to check with her is that we want to decriminalize the extra of abandonment, but then you find that children, what about those children that are already in alternative care, but still they've been, you know, even when they are in alternative care, they still been abandoned. Will that be criminalized when children are in alternative care? Or will it only be once, um, you know, the mother has abandoned the baby? Thanks. Okay. Those were the only questions for clarification, Doc. So you can respond. And we want to thank you about sending us through the chat the, your email address so that if we have got any other questions of clarification, we can be able to go to consult you. Thanks, yes. Doc. Thank you so much, Chi. Sorry. Oh. You did, you did mention my name, Chi. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Oh, yes. And also, honorable Paul, now I can see. Sorry, dog, about that. Let's just wait and be patient for this question. No problem. Of clarification. One, yes. Over yes. to you, Honorable Masango. Thank you, Chair. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you to the doctor for such a, 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 an amazing uh, uh, presentation. Mine is uh, for clarity because towards the end of the presentation, Dr. Rosenberg was responding to what may have been uh, questions, uh, just making sure that there's clarity there. In the meeting of last week, I believe, uh, we had a, a, in the meeting, we, there was a, a time when um, this issue of baby savers was was um, discussed, and the department, through Miss Isabella, said, and I quote: uh, "There was intersectoral, there was intersectoral approach to support children to avoid certain circumstances. The baby savers were basically a reactionary approach, not a proactive approach." When one considers, one considered early prevention and early intervention programs, I that that sort of uh, concerned me, and I have been following the presentation almost word for word, and I just would like to know if the doctor could respond directly to this uh, baby savers being a reactionary and not proactive and not a proactive approach. Thank you, Chair. 
Okay, Honorable Paul Nitt, thank you, Honorable Masangu. Um, good, good morning, Chair. Um, morning. I want to say um, thank you um, for the presentation. It was really straightforward. The question that I want to ask is that um, how do you identify where these baby savers must be placed? Um, I want to make um, an example from where I'm coming from. Uh, the area where I'm staying, the road next to me, um, the children, child welfare opened a baby saver there because one day they found a, a body um, next to um, the, the area where I'm staying, there's the informal settlement. And the baby was in a plastic bag and the dog started eating the baby's arms when the community found it. Um, they went through the whole informal settlement to look for the mother. And they wanted to have this justice on the mother, you know, um, because the mother had just abandoned the baby. In that same street, they found three babies abandoned in the uh, sewage, where they threw the babies in the sewage. And then the um, child welfare opened this um, baby saver in that street. But when you look at the other areas where, uh, in Bloemfontein and Mangahong also is that it's happening everywhere. So how do you identify the area where you can put a baby saver and how must it be done? Um, and then the other question um, I want to speak about is this, that the doctor spoke about prevention. Um, you know, there's abortion and all those things. But if you look at um, the hospitals, if you want to make a booking as a young lady, you want to abort the baby, you wait for sometimes three to four months and then maybe it's too late to, to, to abort the child because the fetus has grown because you can overdo it for a certain amount of period, um, first three months or two months, whatever the case may be, I don't know. Um, so, so how are we going to prevent this thing that when children go to these hospitals because they don't have money to pay for a private place, um, that there's going to be enough hospitals and places for these children to go safely and have the abortion, not that I'm for abortion, is that um, because the, the, the waiting list is long, you put in your name and then they say you must come back in three months, three months, your stomach, everyone can see that you're pregnant. How are we going to... Um, I think that hello. Now are we gonna go about that one? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Polnit. Those were the questions, a uh, doc. So yes. we can just respond to them. Thank you. Thank you so much, Madam Chairperson. Um, I will deal with Honourable Member Liesels first. Um, uh, I think, I, I, I hope I wrote down everything. Um, so I, the reason why baby savers have not yet been legalised in South Africa, in my opinion, based on my research, was as a result of a lack of awareness of the safe method of infant relinquishment. So what I found in my research is that um, there, was, there was not much knowledge 
behind what a baby saver is, how it functions, and its aim. Um, that in other countries, they also experienced the problem that it was regarded as first when they were doing the debates, that it was regarded as legalizing abandonment. So that's where, where many legislatures started from. Uh, and that's due to a lack of awareness surrounding these laws and what baby savers are aimed at. Uh, in many of those countries, they ironed that out and they found out that actually it's preventative and it is not legalizing child abandonment, but rather providing an alternative to women who were anyway going to uh, abandon unsafely. And then also, Honorable Member Liesel, um, uh, asked me about the age. What is that? And let me clarify. So with the implementation or legalization of baby savers, when these laws are legalized, such as all over um, um, the world, in many different countries, they have different stipulations. And one of it is that the child cannot be older than the certain age in order for it to meet the requirements of being safe relinquishment. So they they give a cap age, um, the maximum age, and many states in the US have made the age limit one year old and younger. Now, obviously this would be determined by what our statistics say in South Africa. And our statistics indicate that 90% of children that are abandoned are under the age of one. And therefore this would be the appropriate age limit. And, um, and a mother who, who then relinquishes a child older than this, does not fall within the realms of these laws. Um, however, we must bear in mind that obviously the goal is to have children safely relinquished. So that must always be borne in mind that the opposite can occur, which is unsafe abandonment that could lead to death. And then um, Honorable Member uh, Liesel also um, ad addressed the instance of does it happen that children are reunited with their parents? Again, in my research, it shows that if measures are put in place, reunification is possible. In South Africa, we already have a 90-day period, a 90-day period where the child may not be, be may not be placed for adoption while there is a newspaper advert that is placed notifying anyone that knows of this child to come forward and claim the child. So that's already in place in South Africa. That would continue in place. The other thing that other countries have done is allow the mother to fill in, a, to, to, to take a little form with her and to then drop off the form in the saver at a later time or to take down a number that she can call if she wants to be reunited with her child, a number that is displayed on the baby saver. So if she changes her mind, she can come back and say, look, I have made a mistake. Um, I actually want to reclaim my child. So those things are also legislated upon, and those things are also mentioned in these laws. And then Honorable Member Aries, um, dealt with baby savers and if there's no police stations or baby safe havens in rural areas. So if this is why I'm suggesting the implementation of baby savers as a first step, because the two things are separate and different. Baby savers are different to baby safe havens. In South Africa, it will be easier for us now to implement baby savers as a first step, where we will not require the assistance of police stations, hospitals, and fire stations. Because organizations that want to and that adhere to all the standards, the minimum standards, the protocols of how to receive a child, they are the ones that will open up a saver 
if they adhere to all of these. So it will be by choice and it won't be something that's forced on every police station, fire station and hospital. I do suggest that in future we look at implementing it, um, implementing baby safe haven laws, but that's for the future, not right now. With this crisis, we need an immediate solution, which is baby savers. But in the future, we would have to train up our hospital staff, our police stations and our fire station staff on how to receive a baby, but not for now. Um, and this is also why a baby saver will work best in rural areas. Because if there is no police station, no hospital close by and no fire station close by, then making use of a baby saver will definitely save the life of that infant. And then also, Honorable Member Aries mentioned how many baby savers are operating in South Africa currently, plus minus 40 baby savers that I know of are operating in South Africa currently. So that seems like a lot. And 460 babies have been saved. That number compared to 40 doesn't seem that significant. But bear in mind that because it's not legal, it's unable to advertise its existence. And in certain areas, it's much more difficult to, in, to implement a baby saver than other areas. So the difficulty experience on the ground is that we can't advertise baby savers because it's not a legal method. Um, there's no awareness surrounding this. So in my research, I suggest and, we, and I've seen that an awareness campaign goes hand in hand with the legalization of these savers. Because without an awareness campaign, these savers will fall into disuse, which in my research has been proven in many countries. And then also, Honorable Member Aries made a comment about alternative care, and I think the crime of abandonment. The crime of abandonment is only referring to what we know as abandonment today. If a mother leaves her child on the street, or if a mother deserts her child, that would be abandonment. Um, what I'm saying is that if a baby is safely relinquished, that child does not qualify as an abandoned child because the mother's made the right choice. Um, and then from there, which is the normal procedures followed today, a child is removed from a baby saver and then placed in alternative care, then placed in a CYCC or registered place of safety. That is the normal procedures that are followed. So all the normal procedures will still be followed. It is just the laws governing the use of the saver that I'm dealing with today. Because in order to use the saver, in order to recognize the saver, the saver needs to be legalized. And then um, the questions by Honorable Member Masangu, intersectoral approach to support the child, reactionary, not proactive. My research found that our laws are actually not preventative. Our laws are reactionary because they only cater for instances after a mother has already committed the act of child abandonment. Then she's prosecuted in terms of child abandonment. Then she can be found um, guilty of the crime of concealment of birth, depending on the circumstances or exposure or infanticide. And there's very few cases of concealment of birth that are actually successful. So what are these laws doing? Are they really of functioning as they should? No, they're not, because they're not serving to deter the mother or to stop her from, from proceeding with the act of unsafe abandonment. But a baby saver or the legalization of safe relinquishment through savers is preventative because it says to the mother, you don't have to commit the crime. 
Here's another option. Here's a safe option. Because if we face the truth, this is happening currently in our country. We can't deny it. The numbers, the figures show it, and the research shows also the reports, the, the news reports show that. So this is something that's currently happening. And what legalization of safe relinquishment says is we don't want you to commit the crime. We don't want you to resort to that because the child's life is in danger. So instead of doing that, please make use of a saver. However, in this case, a saver is still, I must mention, a last resort. And then Honorable Member Paul Nita, how do you identify where baby savers must be placed? So what I suggest is that these savers should be placed in areas where the numbers of abandonment, as suggested by honorable member, are high. The numbers of fetuses found in open felts, drains, dumpsters, and toilets are high. And so those areas would, be, would need to be identified. But again, placing of a saver is the first step. Awareness is the very important second step because it's no use that a saver is placed 500 meters from where a baby is abandoned unsafely. There needs to be awareness drawn to the existence of the saver and the fact that the mother has other options like pregnancy counseling and all the other options that the department is going to implement. And then a major, um, uh, the other question by Honorable Member Polita is, you wait three or four months to abort. Um, what do I suggest in this case? So in this case, um, the legalization of baby savers goes hand in hand, like I've mentioned, with other early intervention and prevention programs. And the, the, the um, organization, for example, Baby Savers South Africa, networks with crisis pregnancy centers and help from government to set, would be requested to set up more crisis pregnancy centers in rural areas. So here, for instance, like I've mentioned, Baby Savers is a last resort. Family preservation is high on the list and is first point of call. Parents must parent. But what happens in the instance where pregnancy counseling fails or where pregnancy counseling is unobtainable, which we know is the case in many rural areas, then a baby saver saves the life of that baby. I hope I've answered um, the, all the questions. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Doc. I think you have tried. In fact, you have answered. You haven't tried. You've answered all of the questions of clarification. Uh, I think for now we are done, honorable members. Even ourselves, really, uh, we need uh, awareness. And this thing of pregnancy counseling is really critical so that this we can try to avoid these things to happen in our country. Thank you very much, Doc, again. And maybe we can uh, excuse you. Thank you, Madam um, Chairperson. I just want to okay. check if everyone's received my presentation, the slides, if it was emailed to everyone. Yes, Doc. Okay. Unless I hear someone, I think even Alex Abrams is saying everybody has received. It means that we are covered. But it doesn't mean that we can't use your email 
to tell yes. for some of other things that we need the clarification. Yes, you are more than that. welcome. Yes. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much. You are excused. Thank you very talk. much. Goodbye. Thank you, honorable members, for your time. Goodbye. See you in Uche as a student there. <laughs> then, Lindy, can we go to the next um, item? Uh, Chair, we are going to request advocating Chochisa to take us through to the response on the submission from the Western Cape Children for Commissioner for Children. And then you will afterwards with a comment. Thank you. Okay. Over to you, Honorable Chochisa. <laughs> they must reach the phones others or a people and one room advocate. Uh, thank you for trying to build it. Use one speaker, others must switch off their speakers so that you avoid the echo. You must use one gadget, others must be on silent. I hope it's clear now. But I think there is still an echo. Are you not in? Mr. Mchuchisa, over to you. Uh, on your side. Mute on your side. It's just coming. The presentation is yes. Yeah. You are in one room and other gadgets are opened. That is exactly why there is an echo. So you need to be scattered or close your gadget, the ones that are in that are in that same home with on with a uh, advocate churches. Okay, good morning, honorable chair and honorable members. Morning, that's better. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. My apologies for the technical glitch. Uh, there is a presentation that we are going to make which relates to the response um, to the questions by or 
proposals by the Cape Commissioner for Children on the issue of uh, the bill. It was actually a late uh, in session. Uh, it's uh, therefore an addendum to the metrics that we already have that is before you, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members. One of the questions that was uh, raised uh, by the Commissioner for Children on the Children's Amendment Bill was that uh, there is a need to add some words uh, in the definitions like aftercare. And there is a suggestion that has been made in terms of how that definition should be. And the understanding is that uh, the department does not support the proposed definitions, more especially with regard to the adjectives that are being used uh, in this particular uh, definition, because these uh, words involve uh, something like loving and understanding. So there is a challenge with regard to the meaning of these words if the department was to agree to the insertion of these words in the definitions because they are very much subjective and not easily implementable. Again, Honorable Chair, uh, the issue of uh, the issue of uh, the other insertions, uh, again, in, in, in B, as indicated there, uh, it is also that the department is of the view that the proposed definitions will not comply with the issues of uh, simplicity, precision, and clarity as uh, required by the foundational principles of the rule of law when the law is developed. Because in order to have these words, these must be implementable uh, at the end of the day. Again, there was uh, another uh, comment, Honorable uh, Chair, which required uh, the insertion of one DB uh, in order to define competent parent, uh, caregiver, guardian, in order to read a competent parent or caregiver uh, is a designated person who demonstrates this. Mm -hmm. And again, with regard to this, Honorable Chair, we said let the courts uh, be the ones that decide on the competency of a parent or a caregiver or a guardian. It cannot easily be defined uh, in the legislation because this is uh, not cast in stone. It differs from uh, person to person and situation to situation. So if we were to have it here in the legislation, it would be very much problematic in, in, in that particular case. Uh, again, Honorable Chair, there was a need to insert uh, uh, in Section 18.2 an obligation for parents to love their children. Uh, as well as the parental responsibilities and rights uh, requires uh, that uh, the, the parent must love their children. So in this particular instance, it is again not easy uh, to have this in a legislation because as we have indicated that it is not measurable. Uh, what we need to have in legislation for the sake of clarity and precision uh, is to ensure that, I mean, we can easily measure a particular uh, provision that we need to have. Because if one was to say, let us add the words love and care, 
the parent has got a responsibility to love and care. Every parent would say, uh, this is how I love my children. This is how I care for my children. And in that particular case, uh, it would differ from parent to parent or from case to case. We must also remember that even in the case where uh, the matter ended up in the Constitutional Court regarding reasonable chastisement, honorable chair, honorable members, uh, the case was about a father who had uh, beaten up uh, his child all in the name of love and care, as he stated in court. So because of such dynamics, it is not advisable that we have, I mean, this in our legislation. Uh, again, our Honorable Chair, there was a proposal to remove uh, in Section 183C uh, of the Act uh, some of the words like consent to the uh, uh, child's marriage in uh, Section 183C. The Department supports uh, the proposal because it is a consequential one. We agree with that particular uh, proposal. Again, uh, Honorable Chair, there was a proposal uh, to amend Section 22, uh, which we have uh, agreed to that. We support the proposal that is being suggested by the Commissioner with regards to the insertion of uh, 22A through capital A. Uh, there was another proposal from the Commissioner, Honorable Chen, Honorable Members, uh, where the recommendation was that uh, uh, good fathers and good mothers or good parents uh, with their queer uh, identities uh, must be given equal parental rights and responsibilities in a parenting relationship, and the proposal is supported by the department. Uh, Honourable Chair. Again, there was another proposal uh, to the amendment of Section 40 that is replacing the word spouse uh, with partner, which uh, the department uh, supported in this particular regard. Again, Honourable Chair, with regard to uh, Section 12 of the Act, there was a proposal to insert the uh, definition of corporal punishment and the provision around punishment, uh, corporal punishment, uh, in such a way that it reads as follows No child may be subject to corporal punishment or be punished in a cruel, inhuman, or degrading manner. Again, Honorable Chair, the department does not support this particular insertion because uh, of the constitutional court judgment that we have already been. Uh, talking about uh, all along during our presentation. Because if we insert this particular provision, it will mean that we are only banning uh, or prohibiting corporal punishment of a child, whilst even the mere smacking of a child is also uh, declared unconstitutional in the country. So corporal is uh, very much extreme in this regard, as we indicated. So the proposal is not supported because the rationale for the development of legislation is not to rewrite the existing law. Uh, the Constitutional Court has already pronounced in this particular case, as indicated. Uh, again, Honorable Chair, uh, Section 18 
and six, uh, there is a proposal to add a person who has a case of a child, including a person who has parental rights and responsibilities. The respect of a child must not subject uh, the child to corporal punishment or treat the child in a human uh, degrading manner. Again, this is uh, the submission that we have already made that the proposal uh, is not supported as per the particular. Uh, constitutional court judgment that we have alluded to. And the question has always been coming on that in terms of the South African Schools Act, this provision is there. And our indication is that in the South African Schools Act, this provision was inserted before the delivery of the constitutional court judgment. So it has always been there. That is why it, it is stated in that fashion. But since the uh, pronouncement by the Constitutional Court on the issue of reasonable chastisement, uh, that provision uh, is holding no water at, at, at all because it does not need to be there. Again, Honorable Chair, in Section uh, 110, Subsection 2, uh, there is a proposal that it needs to be amended in such a way that it uh, adds the word uh, has been abused or neglected in the provision itself, of which uh, the department accepts the proposal, and it will have to deal with the provision in that particular fashion. And uh, there is also a provision in section 110, uh, subsection 5, that it needs to be amended in such a way that it provides that the provincial department of social development don't just need a child protection organization and uh, child protection organization to whom a report uh, has been made in terms of subsection uh, one must uh, one uh, make an initial assessment of the report including giving the child an opportunity to share their account. And the proposal for the insertion is uh, accepted and supported by the department with regards to paragraph F. There is also a proposal that the word substantiated, that is not just all reports of abuse, uh, all uh, substantiated reports of abuse, I, I believe the rationale here is to ensure that we do not clog the system unnecessarily. Uh, so the proposal is accepted in this regard. Again, in section mm, 144, there is a proposal that the words purposes of prevention and early intervention programs uh, should be added along to a new subsection which means that the department, in partnership with relevant stakeholders, uh, must take all reasonable steps to that education and awareness raising programs uh, concerning positive parenting are implemented. Yes, with regard to that, what the department is in agreement, but the proposal for positive parenting programs uh, should be taken into account. Again, uh, in, in age, there is also uh, a need to amend uh, the aims of prevention and intervention programs to be more child-centered and supportive, uh, which we have also agreed to as a department. With regards to Section 144, 
uh, speak into the purpose of uh, prevention and early intervention programs where there is a need to uh, delete the words and uh, preserving uh, the family structure uh, which need to be taken off from there. Yes, there is an agreement with regards to that. Uh, there is a support uh, in the UK with regards to the addition of the words supporting families to recognize and overcome the structural uh, impediments that shape uh, them into poverty, that is the children. So in respect of these particular provisions, the department is in agreement uh, with the insertions. Uh, again, uh, honor I will share with regard to uh, section 150, which also needs to be amended. The proposal is that section 150 of the principal act must be amended in order to uh, do away with the words that does not have the ability to support himself or herself, and the bill. Uh, will be amended to cater for the proposed amendments in this regard because the department is in agreement therewith. Uh, with regards to section 178, again, there is a proposed insertion of subsection 2 there, which reads as uh, where the investigation reveals negligence on behalf of the foster parents or child of child and youth care center management, the HOD may transfer the child to another form of care in terms of section 174 and cancel the registration of the center in terms of 1221. The department disagrees with the commissioner's recommendations in this regard because the insertion uh, makes provision for dealing with the matters referred to by the commissioner already. So the cancellation of registration of the youth and care is already dealt with in terms of section uh, 203 of the Act. Again, in section uh, 178, there is a proposal to insert uh, consequences for social service uh, professionals who do not uh, fulfill their duty to promote and protect children's rights. Yes, in this particular regard, we are saying the department uh, notes the commissioner's recommendation, but it must also be taken into account that section 305 of the Act does make provision for officials uh, who fail to comply with the Act. So if we are to add more in this, uh, in this particular provision, we will be repeating exactly what section uh, 305-1C is already providing. about that. Uh, let's see whether are there any discussions on this one? Oh, Yoli, we should also allow you to present. Well, you're supposed to present. Yes, Chair. Yes, maybe then we can discuss inclusively. Yes. A great chair. Okay. Chairperson, there was also a, another submission that was made in, in Kailicha when the committee was there. And as I, I apologize earlier that I mistakenly omitted it, uh, these two submissions. This one, Chairperson, was mainly um, 
a call or was mainly directed to the to the to the committee for action. It was a submission regarding the election of a mayor uh, in in Kanaland in the Western Cape, one of the municipalities. Uh, this mayor, as per the submission, is that he is a convicted uh, child rapist. So the submission was really uh, raising a concern, a serious concern and unhappiness about uh, this election, uh, seeing that the person has this kind of a background. And so um, the, the Child Human Rights Defenders, together with the Commissioner for, the, for Children, they were actually calling for the committee or urged the committee to speak out strongly in public about this um, matter. And they were basically questioning how this um, uh, uh, mayor was elected, given that he had this kind, of, this, this kind of a background as a convicted child rapist. And uh, also, Chair, uh, just to end it, I'm summarizing the, the, the submission, but this is the main issue that was submitted to the committee, that the child human rights child defenders are willing to engage with the committee on this issue privately for the fear of uh, being identified, that they are willing to then have a private engagement with the committee uh, this year. The submission was made last year. So this is the end of it, Chairperson. Um, so that this one is mainly for the action of the, of the committee. But I think maybe our legal advisor can maybe assist the committee on how to deal well with this kind of a submission, Chairperson. Thank you very much. That's all, Chair. Oh, and just to mention, Chairperson, that the two reports have, have since amended them, the one on the public hearings in Kailicha to include the submission. I've also amended the report on the summaries that we on the submissions that were summarized. I've also included the other um, submission that the department presented on. So those those the, uh, reports were accordingly amended, Chair. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Yuli. Then we can, uh, we still have uh, time. So can I see hands, honorable members, having input on what have, has been said? Okay. The way it is so clear that there's no even one hand that has been raised, meaning that uh, we, are, we are on top of issues. We seem to be uh, uh, geared for. All right. Uh, Lindy, what is the next thing after this? Presentation. Um, the is the adoption of the um, motion of disability. Okay. Yes, Chair. I don't know Chair, whether, as Yoli uh, advised during her presentation, maybe um, uh, the legal advice I can. Um, come up with a guidance on the matter is here with yes. us. So I don't know whether I want to give him an opportunity to guide the committee. Yeah, I think he must do that. 
Yeah, you must do that. Uh, over to you, regular advisor. Jangane? Go on. Hey, what's going Hi, good morning, Chairperson and honorable members and colleagues. Sorry, uh, Lindy, I just joined the meeting. I'm not sure what you want me to guide the committee on. It's around the submission from the commissioner on the matter of the, the mayor that was appointed. Oh, yes, the discussion that I had with Lindy. No, thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Chairperson, I must first apologize. Uh, we have not been able to... Uh, fully and adequately support the committee due to capacity constraints that were experienced in the legal process. We uh, deal with uh, numerous committees and some of which uh, we are deployed on a full-time basis or attached on a full-time basis. And the result, as a result, we were not able to join all the committees, of the, the meetings of this committee as we would have wished, uh, Chair. For that, we, we sincerely apologize. Uh, today, Chair, I have just run away from another committee to come and quickly come and support. Will you be? Will you be our our legal advisor from today? The person I am not able to fully comment. Uh, unfortunately, Chair, uh, and this is a matter that I've also discussed uh, with my superiors. Unfortunately, I'm not able to be dedicated to only one committee in the, at, at this moment due to the capacity constraints that I've mentioned. How many are they? How many Which committees will... are you involved? Chair, I support up to nine committees. You? And I'm seconded okay. to, to, the, to the Joint Standing Committee on Intelligence. But but I'm, I I support so, I support okay. your committee. Chair. I have been supporting this committee. But I, I just thought that I must apologize for the inability to attend all your meetings as I should. With respect okay. to the advice that the my colleagues from the state law advisor's office, who are also supporting us in the work that we do, and I've also had numerous discussions with my colleagues, uh, from the department. Uh, and and by by so by by saying so, chair, I want to uh, confirm that in fact I have been uh, keeping uh, uh, in touch with colleagues and also the developments as the committee is processing the bill. With respect to the issue uh, before the committee now, chair, of the public support that was mentioned I advised uh, Yolisa, who brought the matter to my attention, chair, that all. Uh, submissions made to the committee in respect of this bill must be put before the committee for the committee to consider the, the submissions and decide how it wants to process the submissions. Those submissions relating to the bill itself would be relevant to the process that is underway in the committee now, Chair. And the committee will deliberate on those and, and decide on how it wants to go, go forward in, when it is dealing with the clause by clause. But those matters which came up to the, or were brought to the committee's attention during public hearings, 
which are not necessarily uh, in respect of the bill or directly linked to the bill that is under consideration. The committee has one of two options, Chair. Where it is matters relating to policy, those matters must be referred to the department for the department to respond to those issues and bring about uh, solutions to them or respond to those issues. Because the matters of policy are matters under the uh, direction and control of the department. Where it is a matter of oversight, Chair, as this matter seems to be relating to an issue of local government, the committee may take the, the, the complaint and refer it to the relevant sister committee within parliament to uh, dispense with the matter, Chair. So I understand that the content of the complaint is that there is a mayor who is accused of committing a crime, but who has been appointed to occupy a position in government, regardless of the crimes that the mayor the person is accused of or even convicted. Now, Chair, much as the matter relates to some of the matters that are under the committee's oversight, the matter is under the direct control and direction of or, or is overseen in terms of how parliament is arranged by the Portfolio Committee on Local Government and Cooperative Government. And therefore, Chair, it would be advised uh, from our perspective that the committee must refer the matter to the relevant committee for that committee to deal with it, Chairperson, and that the complainants be advised that the matter has been referred to the relevant structure for that structure to attend to it. Thank you, Chairperson. That is the advice that we gave this morning and which we gave to the committee now. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Mkani. Uh, it is a pity really about what you are saying to us today that you are serving nine committees. But nevertheless, we really appreciate your presence uh, in terms of advising us if you have time. Uh, Lindy, there seem to be no hands from the honorable members. I'm not sure whether they are just get ready for the bus that we leave at bus level. So they are busy. Okay, there's a hand coming from Honorable Alex. Thank you, Chairperson. I just would like some clarity. Was the advocate also not supposed to speak to the motion of desirability? In terms of advising us? Yes. Are you asking about that? Because in the, in the motion of desirability, I think Olindi has explained to us what does it mean and how to take it forward. But okay. if you want the legal advisor to repeat what Lindy was saying or say something on what is supposed to happen. Mr. Chairman, are you still around? Yes, I am around. Okay, in terms of the process. Yes, you know, I was going to still, uh, reiterate what Lindy said and also see that Lindy is actually the best person placed to advise on procedural matters such as the motion. So when you are not the best person eh, to, to tell us, because seemingly Alex wants you to say something on what is it that is meant. I don't know. Okay. You don't. Because uh, Lindy explained it. I think, okay, who's saying, Chair? 
It's me, Chairperson. It's Honourable Fanamarva. I'm sorry, may I just again ask a question of clarity around the motion of desirability from the legal advisor? I think the question we are asking is, can we adopt a motion of desirability before we have gotten legal opinion from Parliament's legal advisors on some of the clauses that we still want legal advice on? So I think that is the question we need from the legal advisor. Is it prudent to adopt a motion of desirability before we've received legal opinion on some of the clauses that we are going to ask a legal opinion on? So that's my question. Maybe that's also what that's also what um, Honourable Alex was asking about. Ne? In fact, even Lindy explained this to us that day. Can you, Mr. Mchengani, say something on that? There's a question from Lise. Mchengani, are you around? Yes, I am, Chair, and I had a question from Honorable Fernando uh, Chair, I, I, my, my understanding of the stage for motion of desirability is that uh, the committee can decide when it wants to uh, consider the motion of desirability. It could happen before uh, the legal advice from us, Chair, as to the issues that uh, have been raised by the committee, or it can happen afterwards, depending on how the committee internally has decided to uh, arrange itself when it is processing this filter. The issue of the questions of clarity, Chairperson, does not end now. It's going to be a continuous process up until such time that the committee has adopted this bill. So there will always be legal questions that come up for us to provide legal opinion on. Uh, in which case, Chair, I, in my in my opinion, Chair, it would not be prudent for the committee to await legal advice on each and every aspect before it adopts the motion of desirability. And the motion does not get adopted at the end of the process. Whereas legal advice is continuous until the process comes to an end. And therefore, for me, it would be a uh, chairperson prudent for the committee to consider the motion now, uh, whilst we continue to give our legal advice as and when it is needed. Thank you, Chair. That is just my view on it. However, Chair, if members are of the view that they need a written legal opinion on the matter, we can quickly provide uh, advice in the next meeting of the committee. Return. Thank you. At first, you were so technical, Mr. Mchengan, really, as, as a legal person. You, you seem to not to talk what Elindy was saying, but at the end, you really summarize it the way Elindy was saying that the motion of desirability is to allow us to, de to do more discussions and get into the depth of this amendment. And it also, it's like a certificate for ourselves to carry on and continue with all what we want to know. Uh, there is a head from Honorable Masango. Over to you, ma'am. Chairperson, um, uh, thank you. I just uh, went back about this issue uh, because we discussed it last week and Lindy really explained it um, so clearly. But I also just went back to the previous um, motions of desirability uh, and consulted 
there there used to be um, a, a a reference to Rule Two Eight Six of the Rules of the National Assembly, where uh, because I'm not a lawyer, I'm just going to say the understanding of a layperson to say that for me, as Lindy so rightly said, when we signed the motion of of desirability, when we approve it or, or do whatever, what we are actually saying is that we agree with the principles of the bill and the need for the bill are being accepted by the committee. And I seem to remember that we actually, when the, when the bill was, was, was tabled before us, uh, um, when after a, being ATC'd, we said that uh, we, uh, we, we accept the bill or we approve the bill, or I, don't, I can't remember the words we, 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 we used, because this bill primarily... Um, it is a uh, response to the North Houghton High Court uh, judgment, and we have, as the as the members of the committee and the the from, from being legislators, we have the responsibility to ensure that legislatively that judgment is responded to because the executive has done what they needed to do. Uh, so now it is in our hands to make sure that our part of the responsibility to respond to the North Houghton High Court is fulfilled. So uh, by that, I mean that it only now opens the doors for us to find as much support, legal support and otherwise as possible to ensure that we discharge that responsibility uh, to its um, you know, uh, final conclusion uh, that is going to be also making sure that the children's best interest is at the center of whatever we do as the department. I mean, as the portfolio committee, and of course, by extension, the department uh, for executing what it is that is in the law. Thank you, Chair. We have lost you, Honorable. But uh, no, I had finished, Chair. Yes, I just wanted yeah. to introduce the the angle of of Rule 286 of the National Assembly to the to the colleagues, because that's where it 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 clarifies why we need now more than any other stage before to ensure that we uh, table and approve or vote or whatever the motion of desirability. Thank you, Chair. Okay, thank you, Honorable Masango. You are explaining it. Exactly as how Lindy explained it time and again in terms of that. It doesn't mean that we're done with it, but it means it's a license allowing us as members uh, to continue discussing this. And we are saying in principle we agree with it, but we are not closing and finalizing it. We still have to discuss it. But we requested them to bring us the, the, the expert in terms of the baby savers and also have some legal advice from our legal people. Then can we go to, to that scale? 
without wasting time. I know that people will start to be impatient and moving up and down those that are like myself are not having it powered off their transport. Buses will arrive from 11. They are leaving at half past 11. They are not arriving. Can we go to that MOD? Chair, I don't know whether you want to flight the report um, uh, to read the report through or um, what will be the approach? You can do it, but uh, it's the report that we know. But you can do it for formal tests, for formal reasons, and maybe procedures. Otherwise, uh, it's the report that we were dealing with throughout. Um, uh, Chair, the first part of the report um, provides the background as to when um, the bill was tabled in Parliament, also as the referral of the bill. Um, uh, after that, uh, something is wrong here. I want to ask. Okay. And then that, that's the procedural uh, processes or when the minister introduced or tabled the bill to parliament. Um, this bill was tabled uh, sometime in August, um, uh, was referred to us in August 2020 by the Speaker of Parliament for consideration and reporting. And then after that, we invited the department on there I think on the 6th of October, to brief us on the bill. And then we took a decision to advertise the bill in the national, regional, and newspapers, uh, request inviting uh, public to make comments on the bill. And then we agreed to conduct the virtual national hearings from the 14th, I think the 18th of May. And, and thereafter, we started our process on the 2nd of June, um, uh, conducting public hearings in the nine provinces. And then the last date of the provinces of the public hearings was then December 2020. And then thereafter, Chair, uh, the, this um, paragraph provides the background as to where the reason behind um, the department to 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 to, to draft um, and table this legislation um, uh, to parliament. It emanates from a litigation by the Center for Child Law versus the Minister of Social Development. There was a case, and then the North Gauteng High Court uh, gave a ruling, and and then in the court order, and then it was extended. Um, I remember at the beginning of last year. And then the, the, the court order was extended until the 29th of, of, of November, this current year, of this year, of 2022. So um, um, the next paragraph, it provides as to what this bill seeks to amend. There are a number of clauses that the bill seeks to amend. I think it's about 143 clauses altogether that bill is amending. And I think, Chair, the, the last uh, the last paragraph, a paragraph before the last, is uh, talks to what uh, Member Masango was referring to, as to Rule 286, um, uh, subsection 4, 
of the NA, which reads as follows. After due deliberations, the committee must consider a motion of disability on the subject matter of the bill. And if rejected, it must immediately table the bill and its report on the bill. If the motion of disability is adopted, the committee must proceed to deliberate on the details of the legislation. Uh, in order to comply with the Nordhagdeng um, High Court order for a development of a comprehensive legal solution to the challenges in the foster care system, the committee, if agrees now, is of the opinion that the bill is desirable and then will proceed to deliberate on the details of the legislation. That's the bill chair. Uh, that's the, the, the report in a nutshell that the committee must adopt so that it can start with the clause by clause on Friday. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mindy. I think it's clear enough even today as it was already clear enough last meeting. So can I get a hand to adopt the MOD? Where are the honorable members? Alex? Yes, Chair. I move for the adoption of the MOD, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Alex. Uh, any second? Can I second by myself? Since I don't see any hand. We are Chairperson. I'm seconding. Okay, thank you, Honorable. Honorable Mangani seconding. So it means we are going to proceed with these debates and discussions, and we will deal with clause by clause on Friday. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Members. What is the next meeting? Uh, Chair, the next item is the adoption of minutes of the 23rd and the 25th of August, of May, of March. No, I mean, August, sorry, sorry, sorry for that mistake, Chair. Lindy, can you fly to still have time at least to adopt those minutes rather than to defer them? Hello. And Thank you very much, Chairperson uh, and members. Uh, the meeting of the 23rd of March was when we received um, a matrix uh, to the from the department um, containing all responses from the stakeholders on issues raised um, on the Children's Amendment Bill. And the members uh, present was member was you, Chairperson, member Stock, member Pilangulu, member Trongo, member Manganyan Mutaung, from the African National Congress. And then from the Democratic Alliance, we had Umama Umasango, member Abrams and member Opperman. And then from the Economic Freedom Front, we you know, Freedom Fighters, we have member Eris and member Mare. And then from the 
in Qatar Freedom Party, we have Umemba Ufanda Merve, and then we had an apology from Member Sukar's new to prior commitments. Um, chair, um, the member, there were apologies from U Minister was unable to attend the cabinet at uh, the meeting due to cabinet um, engagements as well as the deputy minister who was uh, on in hospital um, we adopted the agenda the move um, as member Mandanye and seconded by member Abrahams and then uh, due to time constraints we defer the adoption of minutes in that particular meeting and then um ADG Tonu um, gave an um, overview, a high-level overview on the submission and uh, proceeded to give who advocate in churches so take to, to take the committee through um, the presentation. There were a number of issues uh, raised about the, um, the corporal punishment uh, as well as the issue of the, um, the, the savers was discussed in, in great length and then the issue, the waiting of care, etc. But there were resolutions uh, made by the committee this particular day that um, there must be an expert uh, uh, which was here today uh, must be invited to take the committee through um, the baby saver concept as well as um, that we need to also um, schedule a follow-up meeting because the matrix, it was such a comprehensive document and the committee couldn't finalize the document. They ended in, in on page 344. So there were such resolution, three resolutions taken by the committee to defer the minutes uh, to have a follow-up meeting to finalize the matrix as well to invite an expert to take the committee on the, on the baby saver concept. Those are the minutes in a nutshell. Okay, Lindy. Uh, let me check the hands again. Okay. I don't see any hands. Chairperson. Oh. Okay. Chairperson. Okay. Yeah, thank you very much, Chairperson. I move for the adoption of the minutes as a true reflection of the meeting. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Stock. Uh, Honorable Masango, yes, second. Yes. Honorable Bilangula, I move. I second the move by Honorable okay. Thank you very much, Honorable. I know that you are person of time, um, <laughs> even outside. Thank you very much. Lindy, the last minute. I guess it's things that we were discussing, really. So <laughs> it's a matter of adding them. Deleting few things. Chair, um, the last set, the last set was for last Friday, the twenty-fifth of March. Um, the full complement for from the ANC was present, uh, consists of six members, and then uh, from the Democratic Alliance, there were three members as well as member Fanda Merve and member Sukar was unable to attend um, at that week. And then chair, um, we received an, no apologies, it's from member, only from member Sukars. Uh, we received, uh, the agenda was moved by member Manganye and seconded by member Pinangulu. We considered two sets of minutes, the 9th and the 16th, and then we moved to the finalization of the matrix from page 144 to 523. And then, Chair, the issue of the 
MOD was presented to the committee and the committee had a lengthy, lengthy discussion and was of the view that they, it, needs, it needs to be uh, deferred to, 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 to this meeting, which is the 30th of March. Uh, thereafter, we've made a number of resolutions that um, we need today to adopt the MOD. And also, we must ensure that the parliamentary legal advisor attends the meeting of the formal stage in order to provide a legal guidance to the committee and also the, 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 the uh, expect on the concept of baby saver. And, and then that's it, Chair. Thank you. And we also had a problem, Chair, uh, which I have noted that there was a, a really serious discussion uh, from members uh, to each department for failing to comply with submissions of, of, of questions for written responses, of which the, the department responded on Sunday which, with responses and then uh, disseminated the, the responses to you. And I hope they will improve going forward. Thank you very much, Chair. Okay, thanks, Lydia. To say that we saw the, the, the responses, how we wish really it should be like that at all times. First, before we get the responses. Um, can we get the the adoption of the minutes. Move up the adoption of the minutes. I will move for the adoption of the chairperson. Honourable for the matter. Thank you, Honourable Elizabeth. Honourable Bridget, are you seconded? I'd like to second, yes, Chair. Thank you very much. The meeting has adjourned. You were so cute in things. Uh, thank you. I'm already in the bath. <laughs> you just put cherry on top of whatever that I used. Thank you very much. The meeting has adjourned. You can quickly thank rush you, to the bus. I'm already thank you, outside. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. See you on, we'll talk on Friday. virtual meeting. Thank you. Uh, members and colleagues, um, I'm going to end the meeting. Eh? I don't want to end be rude. the meeting. End <laughs> the meeting, <laughs> to Thank for you everyone. very much for that. Yes, for okay. everyone. Thank you so much. Bye. See you on Friday.